So I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed this series, the Songs of Jesus. It's been great to see all these different ranges of emotion because truly it seems that there's no situation in life that the book of Psalms cannot speak to. So, all that being said, I am excited to dig into Psalm 19 with you today, but before we do that, I want to ask a question. Does anybody else besides me have trouble finding things? Can you raise your hand? No shame. Forget a Holics Anonymous, okay? I am infamous for not being able to find things, for losing things at my house. It's a tale as old as time. Where are my keys? You left them in the door again. Where are my glasses? They're on your nightstand, or they're on your face. And not only at home, but at work, too, because on more than one occasion, Pastor Jessica has found my water bottle sitting somewhere in the church. I often sneak into Pastor Christian's office to mess with his stuff, just to be funny. And recently, I was in there, and I left my coffee cup sitting on his desk. So he obviously knows who it is, even though he normally knows who it is because no one else messes with him like that. But forget things here, forget things there. I can't find what I'm looking for. Today, I wonder if there's some of you in the room who have been looking for something but haven't been able to find it. And the funny thing is, so many times when we're looking for something, it's right in front of us. It's right in our pocket. We didn't see it. We looked right past it. Today, I wonder if there's something like that in Psalm 19. Something you've been looking for in your spiritual life to help it improve, to grow deeper in your walk with Christ, and you've been looking past it this whole time. It's been right in front of you, but you've missed it. But it's been right there the entire time. Psalm 19 is a meditation or a reflection. We've heard the words as fully sanctified preachers say at the end of their prayers, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord. That's how you know it was a good prayer. Anyway, now you know where it's from. Now you know where it's from. You can use that for prayer. I'm just saying. That's where it's from. But it is a reflection, a meditation from David. It is not a how-to book. It's not supposed to be a comprehensive look on the spiritual life. I like to imagine David was just sitting down, and he was like, he just had this profound thought about God, and he started to write it down. But even if it's not a how-to manual, even if it's not comprehensive in nature, I think that we can learn something from David. The man after God's own heart, even in his insights, even in his reflections, has something to teach us. Something that's been in our pocket the whole time. That's been right in front of us. So at the beginning, David reflects. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship day after day. They continue to speak night after night. They make him known. What is the most magnificent piece of nature you've ever found yourself looking at, experiencing, caught up in? Take yourself there right now. Feel the heat. Feel the cool. Smell the breeze. Maybe you're on top of a mountain. Maybe you're overlooking the ocean, watching a beautiful sunset. Whatever it was, do you remember how small you felt? How you were caught up 
in God's creation. David says the whole world proclaims God's glory. It hints at, it points at the fact that there is a creator somewhere in heaven. And David continues in this. Now he's focusing not just on the sky, but on the sun. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. Now to me this sounds pretty cheesy. I'm going to be honest. Sounds like an athlete. The sun sounds like an athlete. Looks like a bridegroom coming out after his wedding. But really when I started to think about it, it's kind of like David gets in this Bruce Buffer moment in the octagon with the sun. Now, in this corner, weighing in at 434,000 miles wide, with an internal temperature of 27 million degrees Fahrenheit, the reigning undisputed illuminator of the earth, the sun. And everyone's like, yeah. It's great. It's awesome. It gets them excited. Look how glorious the sun is. If the sun is so awesome, how much greater my God must be. Be who made it. How much greater he must be. And this truth that nature points to the Lord is reiterated in Romans 1.20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And on that note, I love this quote I found in my commentary. It says, During the French Revolution, someone said to a peasant, I'll have your steeples pulled down that you may no longer have any object by which you may be reminded of your superstitions. But, replied the peasant, you cannot help leaving us the stars. Even if you tear down all the churches in the world, you get rid of all the crosses, the whole world still stands as a testament that there is a creator. So option one, creation. But David continues on. He moves from talking about nature to talking about God's word, his law, his commandments, his instructions. The instructions of the Lord are perfect. The commandments of the Lord are right. The laws of the Lord are true. They're more desirable than gold, sweeter than honey. And listening to that, it sounds like David thinks that these words are of higher quality than nature because nature only points towards God. Yes, it's a great thing. Everybody gets to experience it. But isn't it nice when people don't expect you to know what they're thinking? When they tell you what they expect out of you. David could know that God existed, but until God communicated his word, his commandments, his instructions, he didn't know how to respond. And David even says, they're better than gold. They're sweeter than honey. So while nature is great, his word is more valuable. These are the very words from God himself, the creator of the world. So, so far we've got nature and God's word, but David has one more. David wraps up his thoughts by saying, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? 
Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free from guilt and innocent of great sin. He could know God existed from nature. He could know what God wanted from him from his commandments. But he had no personal relationship until he admitted he couldn't do what the Lord asked without his help. Until he decided to rely on the Lord, he could know everything about creation. He could have the whole wholeness of Scripture memorized. But he had no personal relationship with the Lord until he admitted he needed him. Until he admitted he couldn't do it without him. David is moving in this psalm from less intense to more intense ways of experiencing God. From impersonal to fully personal ways of experiencing God. So there's the sermon right there. It's going to get you out early just so you can go fire up the grill, get your brats going, and jalapeno poppers, whatever you're doing. But except that's not it. Because you've heard that over and over and over and over again. You need to rely on God more. And that doesn't answer the question that I asked at the beginning. Because I'm not saying that that's not important. Believe me, that's the most important part. But what I asked is, is there something right in front of you that could improve your relationship with the Lord that you've been missing? So if it's not that, then what is it? Well, surely it must be his word, right? Because if I were to show you the stats on biblical knowledge in the United States, it's embarrassing. We live in a culture where people's biblical knowledge extends to Hobby Lobby verses on signs. Micah 6.8, Joshua 1.9. Or the Veggie Tales. That's all they know about Scripture. So it must be the Word. Because people aren't in it enough. It's so much easier just to turn on Netflix or to scroll through TikTok. But still... You've heard that again and again and again. And it's not, again, not because it's not important, but I'm asking, is there something right in front of you that you've been missing that could improve your spiritual life? Allow me to illustrate. Because you can live three days without water. Think of personal reliance on God, personal conversation with God as water. You're not going to last long in your personal relationship with him if you don't drink the water. But if you got the water, they say you could go as long as two months without food. Of course, I'm not going to try it to prove it, but that's what they say. Okay? And if you have food, God's word, and water, experience with the Lord, you're going to survive, even thrive in your relationship with the Lord. But what nobody talks about, what nobody has figured out, what everyone argues about, rather, are the supplements. You're scrolling through your news feed, and you got a friend that just jumped into a pyramid scheme and is trying to sell you a new supplement. Do this, it'll change your life, I guarantee you. Your doctor recommends that you start taking this. Your friend recommends that you start taking this. Coenzyme Q10, vitamin C, zinc, garlic, whatever. Nobody's figured out the right cocktail yet, 
right? And that's where we get caught up. Today, I want to tell you about a supplement that is guaranteed to improve your spiritual life. It is not the most important thing. It is not the most important thing. I'll say it again. His word and your personal relationship with God are more important, but we've been missing that there's something right in front of us that we could use to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Because your ears have often heard time and time again, you need to rely on the Lord more. Your ears have often heard time and time again, you need to be in the Word more. But when was the last time when you were spiritually dry, someone asked you, have you been spending any time outside? How much time have you spent in nature? How much time have you spent in the Lord's creation? What's interesting to me is that non-believers seem to take advantage of nature's benefits more than we do. In Japan, densely populated country, they have something called forest bathing. Japan is the size of California, has three times as many people. Tokyo, the capital city, has twice as many people as are in the entirety of Indiana. Lots of people. So you can understand their desire to escape. Forest bathing. No, it's not taking a bath in the forest. It's metaphorically letting nature wash over you. Frederick Law Olmsted, the father of landscape architecture, created Central Park with the purpose of giving the people of New York City an escape from the stresses of the city. The National Park System is an attempt to preserve the most beautiful parts of America so they are untainted by human hands. Nature reduces stress, anxiety, depression. It can boost your immunity. And it has all sorts of other physical or mental benefits. But David reveals to us that it has spiritual benefits too. The outside world has spiritual benefits. Non-Christians are not in denial that nature has benefits, but they are in debate of who or where it came from. David tells us that it comes from the one true creator, and we can find his presence there. When we live in the city, we build up all of these wonderful things we love around us. TJ Maxx's and Baconators at Wendy's with pretzel buns. I wish I could get one afterwards. And all these other wonderful things. They're great. There's nothing wrong with that in itself. But when we do that, we're so much easily distracted of the fact that it's not our world. It's God's world. It's God's world. Nature, as David has revealed, is a gift that reminds us there's a creator. But you've got to make space to experience it. You've got to make space to enter into silence and solitude and listen to the wind go through the trees, listen to the birds. How many times in Scripture did people experience the Lord in nature? Not that God never spoke to people in the city, But where did Jesus go after he was baptized? Into the wilderness. Where did Jesus go the night before he was crucified? To a garden. Where did Moses go to meet with the Lord on a mountain? 
at a burning bush? Where did Elijah meet the Lord and hear his still small voice in a cave? When we get away from what man has created and immerse ourselves in the world that God has created, something happens in us to become more attuned to what he's saying. It's not that he can't speak to us in the city, but he meets us in a unique way in his creation. There's a great temptation in Christianity, just as I noted in that quote from the peasant earlier, that God's presence is only in a church building, but in reality it is all around us and all the creation that he has had. I want to read to you an excerpt from a prayer called Praise to the King of Creation from the book Every Moment Holy. It says, There is no quarter over which you are not king, the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of lava fields. Ruler of desert wastes, king of the rabbits, lord of tall trees. You are the god of youth and the god of age. You're the acorn king, the river god, the swamp king, king of glades, king of dells, ruler of all hummingbirds, captain of the clouds, lord of Antarctica, lord of atoms, ruler of electrons, the lord of gravity, the king of quarks, high king of the galaxies. You were before all things. You created all things, and in you all things hold together. There is no corner of creation you will fail to redeem. You are the Lord of lords and the King of kings, O Jesus Christ, King of everything. All creation points back to Jesus Christ, who was there when it happened, through whom it happened. All of it. You just got to look for it. His signature's all over it, and it's waiting for you out there to be able to immerse yourself in the world that he has created. It's not more important than knowing God's word. It's not more important than relying on the Lord, but it sure is a great way that's been sitting right in front of us that we have forgotten about, to spend time in nature and dwell in God's creation, listening to his voice. So how do you do it? There's all kinds of ways I could suggest, but I'm just going to give you two. I'm just going to give you two today. First, I want you to become a nature pauser. Become a nature pauser. It's a great thing to be able to pause TV so that you can go up and get a snack, or so you can rewind to that great moment in the show you just watched, or disbelief of what just happened. But what if, in the busyness of life, instead of going on with your tasks and busyness of your day, when you saw a sunset or when you saw an animal that you don't normally see or when you saw a flower that just came up in your yard, you didn't just keep going, but you stopped. You stopped and reflected on how great this world is that God has created. You stopped, you paused, and remembered who the Creator is. You stopped, you praised the Lord for who he is and what he made, is made. So become a nature pauser, but also plan nature soaks. I would love it if you are nature pausing all day long when you're on the bypass, but I don't think that's enough because you're still in the city. You're still in Marion, okay? <laughs> Get out of Marion. Go somewhere else. Or Matter Park, I guess that's acceptable. But anyway, plan a nature soak. What I mean is 
you got to get out and have an extended period in nature alone so that you can open up your ears to the Lord's voice, so you can admire the world that God has created. And you might be saying, I'm just not an outdoorsman. I don't like being outdoors. I don't like bugs, mosquitoes. I don't like all that. Frogs, get them away. There are ways to do it without being Bear grills. okay? I'm not... I'm not expecting you to eat worms and only go out there with a knife, okay? I'm not expecting you to do that. But there are ways in which you can plan time in your life. Time at a lake house. We are still inside, but overlooking God's creation. A trip to a national park, a trip to a state park closer in Indiana. Some way where you can soak in God's creation. Pause in nature Plan nature soaks. So I hope today, as you walk out these doors on this 4th of July weekend, you will have your first nature pause. You will look up at the sky and you will say, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge and praise God for the world that you live in. And before the end of the year, before winter comes, because I'm not expecting to be outside, and I don't want to be outside when it's winter, is there one nature soak that you could plan so that you can take advantage of this supplement that David draws us to where we can meet the Lord, where we can remember how great, how magnificent our God is. If the Grand Canyon is so amazing, how much more amazing and awe-inspiring our God, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, must be. So, let's pray, and I hope that you, this 4th of July weekend, will begin to pause and expose yourself, reminding yourself that this is God's world. This is God's world, not ours. We live in the Creator's world. Let's pray. Lord, you are the king of everything. You're not the king of just humans. You are the king of rabbits. You're the king of toads. You're the king of grass. King of everything. Everything shouts out in praise toward you. I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would attune us Make us aware of those moments where you reveal your craftsmanship to us in this world. Help us to be people who live not in our world, but in your world. And may you deserve and get all the praise from our mouths each and every day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.